praise you today because hope has come down. You are God with us. You are Emmanuel. You've revealed us. You've revealed to us who you are in your Son, Jesus Christ. Before you had spoken through the prophets and through your word, now you speak to us through your Son. And we are grateful for the benefits of knowing him, uh, one of which is joy. And so today as we speak and as we learn and understand what joy is and, and how it is, it can grow in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us the faith to trust and to believe that we might experience it fully. We ask this in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the great benefits of being a Christian is that we get to experience joy. And joy isn't an experience. And this time of year, we, we sing a lot about it, joy to the world. We, we read a lot about it. I, I love this time of year. We get a lot of Christmas cards from you all and friends across the country and world. And often we'll see that word joy. It will be, it will be you know, very large and very obvious. And there's this, this real powerful emotion that is tied to it so long as you understand its source and what it means, what it does. Jesus is the ultimate source of joy. Outside of him, I don't know that it can exist. I don't know that it even makes sense outside of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we look at our text today, I think you'll understand why. See, God is the giver and sustainer of faith. And that faith, is, it comes to us by grace, but we must receive it, and then we are responsible to grow in it. And so it is with joy. God is the giver of joy through Jesus Christ. And it's a gift that we must receive. It's an experience that we must gain. And having been given it, we are responsible to grow in it. But to, to understand it is, is crucial. If you don't understand what joy is, you, you can never truly uh, really embrace and, and grow into the experience of what God wants us to have through it. So uh, it's important to understand, and maybe sometimes the best way I think to understand it is to maybe compare it to something that it's not, but that it is similar to. Something like, happiness. Joy is not happiness. There is a difference. Joy versus happiness. Understand, this is a simple way I remember it. Happiness is based upon happenings. So, there's a lot of happiness to be had in the world. All of those are based on happenings. If something that is happening to you is a good thing, that will produce happiness. Now, the, the, the bad thing about happiness is if bad things happen to you, you don't have happiness. It, it's completely dependent upon circumstances and your capacity to, to take advantage of those circumstances. Joy is different. Understand this. Joy is a state of being. It doesn't matter what's happening to you. It can be a happy time or a sad time. No matter what you're going through, you can always have joy. And, and it is a gift from, from God. Uh, I can remember, it was 10 years ago this week, when uh, our youngest uh, child, our, our, our son, Asher, was born. His name means happiness. His, his name means blessed. And he has been such a source of, of much happiness and, and, and much, much blessing. I can still remember the night when Asher was born. And the reason I can remember is because it's associated with the movie. Uh, my wife had, had given birth to our son, and in a matter of hours, she was already outside of our room, and she had gone down to visit another mom that she knew that had given birth that same day. I'm going to tell you something. If it, if it were men that gave birth, you wouldn't get us up for a month, all right? 
we would milk that for all it's worth. But there she was out going and visiting and, and, and just, you know, having a great time celebrating with other folks. And I'll never forget this night because I was holding Asher and I was, I was so happy. I mean, I was just, I was just silly happy holding this boy. And I will never forget, I looked up and the movie was on, it's, it was It's a Wonderful Life. And I remember saying to God, it is a wonderful life. Thank you, God. I am so happy. I was holding Asher. His name means happy. And I was so happy. And then Asher got older. And he still makes me happy, but he also makes me angry. It was an amazing thing when he learned the word no, how my emotions changed so radically. He was, though, the most respectful, disagreeable child I've ever seen in my life. Because he was hilarious. Asher wouldn't say no. He wouldn't be mad. He wouldn't be rude about it. Somehow, I don't know where he learned this, he would say, no, thank you. And it was so disarming and pleasant. You would say to him, Asher, sit down. No, thank you. Son, I'm telling you right now, you are to sit down. No, thank you. I still spanked him, but it felt weird, you know? He just had this way about him. And so, you know, whether it was a happy time or a hard time, the one thing that has never left me is the joy of being his dad. The joy is something that is sustained. So it is in the Christian life. There are happy days and there are hard days. There are all kinds of days that we're going to have. Good days, bad days, times when, we're, when we feel overwhelmed, times when we're bored because it seems like everything is, is just on cruise control. But through it all, the follower of Jesus Christ has the capacity to experience joy. And that joy, it comes and we're able to appreciate it because of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing in our life. See, it's the gospel of God that makes joy possible. See, I, I want you to understand something today. If today, if you're not happy, and I know that some of you, I know that some of you today, this is for some people the most wonderful time of the year. But for some of you, it's not. I prayed with one of our widows after the last service. And this is a hard time for her. She misses her husband. And she's not happy. She's grateful. She has joy. But she's not happy. This is hard for her. And I know for some of you right now in your life, because of things that are happening, you're not necessarily happy. Let me tell you, let me encourage you not to make a major mistake that a lot of people do, which is this. is to turn to sin to overcome your hurt. Because if you do, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to create more pain. You're going to create more brokenness. Because that's what sin does. Sin always takes you further than you wanted to go. It always gives you less than, than, than it promised. And it always costs you more than you wanted to pay. It always does, and it creates brokenness. So if you're not happy today, don't make things worse by falling into sin. Instead, be wise. Hear the word of God. 
turn to the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news that God loves us, that He is our Emmanuel, that He is God with us, that He left heaven to come to live a holy life, to die for our sins, to be raised, so that He can now be our mediator. He now gives us access to the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit through His grace. So see, we have this glorious gift. We can repent, that is, turn away from trusting in ourselves, and instead, we can believe in the love and the power of God. And when we do that, it enables us to pursue and to recover God's design. And that experience of pursuing and recovering God's design produces within us joy. That's why the only way to truly have joy is to have Jesus in your life. Because only Christ can overcome sin and death and enable you to pursue and recover God's design. And as you experience that pursuit, as you experience that 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 growth, and, and, and as you begin to, to, to actually have this life that you were destined for, you experience joy. Our text today shows us how our joy grows, how it is we have it, how we can pursue and recover God's design and enjoy this experience in life. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me right now to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to, again, be back in the prophecy of Zechariah. Catherine Burnham is going to read for us the entire prophecy. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. As she is reading, I want you to be mindful that I'm going to be preaching today from verses 72 through 75. But I've wanted us to read every Sunday the entire prophecy to, to again, understand the full context of what is being said. I'm not going to give the background for this prophecy. I did that a couple of weeks ago. Go back online and listen to it if you weren't here. But it's important to understand this the message that we're going to look at in, in light of the, of the whole. So if you would, Catherine, read the whole for us. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised our fathers to remember his holy covenant, and the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge and salvation to his people, and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give the light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Catherine. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Understand that joy is like the other products of the fruit of the Spirit. We, we, we understand that the fruit of the Spirit is love, but love produces things that we can grow in as the children of God. This is Galatians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, and then love produces all these things, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. So these things, joy, peace, love, patience, kindness, goodness, even love itself, these are things that we grow in. We grow to have them more. And the way we do that is through experiences. So important that you're able that you're able to have the right experiences. Now, these experiences, some we don't we don't always necessarily control, but you and I, we control a large number of the experiences that we have because we we have the freedom to govern how we spend our time. 
this morning, you have chosen to be here to hear the preaching of God's Word. You have chosen an experience that is going to change something about your thinking, and I pray will change something about your feeling, and that's what I want you to be clear about. See, your experiences drive your thinking, and your thinking drives your feelings. Look at it like this. Experiences, these experiences you've had in your life, these experiences, these things you've been exposed to, they, they drive your thoughts. That's why it's so important that we raise children in, in the teaching of the Word in the midst of the church, because these experiences drive their thinking. What you think, your thoughts drive your feelings. So what, whatever you're feeling today has a lot to do with the way you're processing your life. And your experiences in life are, are what dr- are driving those thoughts and those feelings. Now remember, joy is a state of being that we feel. Joy is a state of being. It's something that you are, that you experience, that, that you have. But it's also something that we understand by how we feel. So how are you feeling today, friends? Do you feel joyful? Now ask me if you feel happy. Do you feel joyful? If not, you need to think about what you're thinking about. And then you need to to be mindful of your experiences. What is it you're experiencing in your life? And is it producing thoughts that create the right feelings so that you can feel the state of being that is joy? Now, our text today talks about how important it is to have these right experiences. And, and I want us to look at them point by point this morning. I pray that you can think this way and you can feel this way based on what God is doing. And I pray the Holy Spirit enables that to happen. As a matter of fact, let me pray for that right now. Father God, I ask that you would now send your Holy Spirit to allow us to experience the fullness of what this word means, that we may think what is true so that we can feel what is right and that we can feel the state of being that is joy. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So understand, joy grows uh, when we experience three things. And I want you to take note of this, uh, these things. The first one is this, God's mercy. Joy grows when we experience God's mercy, which nurtures delight. It nurtures a delight with us. When we see the mercy and we understand the mercy of God, it nurtures the light within our soul, which is a, a part of joy. Look what it says in verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. God promised that he was going to give us this mercy and that it would be revealed through Jesus Christ, the one that John was going to be the forerunner of. Now, what is mercy? It's a word you hear a lot, probably, if you're around church. What is it? It's different than grace. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. So what he's talking about here is us not getting something that we deserve. There's a member of our church who left uh, one Wednesday night this fall and was heading home or heading somewhere and was, uh, was, was seeking to get there in a rapid rate and was pulled over by a police officer. Isn't that the most terrible feeling? To be driving and to see those blue lights and the first thing you think, is it me? And then they get right behind you and then you know, oh, it's me. 
and then you just feel sick because you think, how much is this going to cost me? And who is seeing me? Oh, no, the emails. Pastor Jason, I saw you. Oh. So this, this young lady, she got pulled over, and the officer came, and they typical cavalier, you know, wonderful police officer, way, well, where are we going in such a hurry tonight, young lady? And then she just poured it on. Well, sir, I was just leaving church. And I was on my home to see my mom and dad before they went to bed, just trying to be a good Christian lady. I mean, just blowing all kinds of smoke out of that car, right? But you know what? That officer, he appreciated, he took the bait. This never works for me. I think you have to be pretty and godly for this to work, all right? And, and so, you know, it's just so funny. He took a lie straight in and said, all right, young lady, we'll just slow it down. She wanted to tell me this. She said, just, it's, just tell everyone, it's another reminder why you should always be in church because you never know when you're going to be pulled over, right? But what happened? He gave her mercy. He gave her what she did not deserve. She deserved the ticket. She deserved to have to pay a penalty for her decision, for her action. But instead, she was given mercy. Now, that mercy didn't cost much. It really didn't in the grand scheme of things. The mercy that we receive from God comes at a great expense. Understand this, Romans 6.23 the wage, the cost of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please, please understand that this gift of eternal life that we gain in Christ Jesus comes at a huge price. Hebrews 2.17 explains this price that God paid for us. Says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. God had to become human so that he could identify with us, so that he could minister to us and for us and become a mediator between us and God. We could not get to God, so God came to us. God, holy God, took on human form. And look what he did. To make propitiation, big word, we're going to define it in a minute. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. I, I appreciate the, the way that uh, Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible explains the word propitiation. It means that Jesus' death on the cross for the sins of mankind put away God's wrath against his people once and for all. God's wrath. You know, there, there's folks that say, I don't like that word, God's wrath. I don't, I don't, I don't like that, that idea. Friends, you, you need to. Here's why. Because the wrath of God proves that God is just. God is loving. Make no mistake about it. But he's also just. And the just demand of God is that every sin, every violation of the law be dealt with completely justly. So understand that the gift that we gain in Jesus Christ, it's not like the speeding ticket that young lady did not receive. It's not God saying, oh, I'll let you go this time. It's, it's not a big deal. That's not, what mercy, that's not what God's mercy is. God's mercy is you deserve death. 
you deserve punishment. But I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Now, that sin still has to be dealt with because God is just, because God is good. There has to be a payment for that sin. God hates sin. That's what his wrath is about. It's about the fact that, that he despises that which is evil. And the wrath of God must be fully satisfied in order for there to be justice. So what did God do? He met the just demands of his holiness. Remember the night before Jesus gave his life? I mentioned this when we received the Lord's Supper just a moment ago. Jesus prayed, but he prayed a metaphor. He prayed, he said, Lord God, if at all possible, take this cup from me. That cup was the cup of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is death. To drink of the cup of the wrath of God is to die, is to experience the punishment for sin. That night, Jesus said, if there's another way, but not my will, but your will be done. And God's will was that God himself would drink the cup of wrath. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he drank it, he drank it dry, so that the wrath of God was completely satisfied. That's what propitiation is. It's the, it's the just demands of the satisfaction of the law of God, removing the wrath of God from the person who deserves it, placing it on the one who doesn't, so that mercy can be given to the one who has sinned. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that glorious? See, the, 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 the delight that that invokes it's unlike anything else. Please understand, in your lifetime, even this year, you're going to probably get some great gifts. You will not get any greater gift than the great, the mercy of God that is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you got to be careful, friends. you got to be so careful. You know, we children of God, we're like, we're like just normal children. You know, it's so fun. Some of you who have older children now, you know what I'm talking about. When children are young, they get up on Sunday, on Christmas morning, and there's a delight. Oh, they're up early. You're wishing they'd sleep in. You're wanting, to, you're wanting a little bit more time, but they're pumped, right? Because there's a gift, and they get up, everyone, let's go. Woo! You know, and there's a delight in receiving these gifts. And then adolescence comes. And you're like dragging them out of bed at 10 o'clock. Get up. It's Christmas morning. We have gifts for you. We paid a bunch of money for it. Get your tail down there and thank your mother. I'm going to beat somebody. You know, it's Merry Christmas. I don't know what your Christmas is like. But what happens is, if we're not careful, when we grow older, See, this morning as I was talking about propitiation, as I was talking about, for some of you it's an academic thing. For some of you it's just a spiritual thing. For some of you it's something of an emotional thing, but it's more sentimentality than real gratitude, more than delight. 
are you delighting today in the gift of God? If you're not, let me tell you why you're not. It's because you're thinking too little of your sin. There's a man who doesn't go to our church anymore. And uh, I, I, I talk with him every now and then. And uh, I, I was talking to him sometime this year, and, and I asked him, is there anything that he misses about not being in our church? He's not in church at all. And he said, you know, there are some things. He said, but let me tell you one thing I don't miss. I don't miss being told every Sunday morning that I'm a sinner. So I appreciate that. But I, I, I can understand that. That's the, that's the tough part of my job is telling the truth like that, you know. So, but has it ever dawned on you that your natural self will never allow your mind to accept that reality? And if you don't accept that reality, the mercy of God will become meaningless to you. And then I throw this one in, as I think it has already. See, if you, if you don't have the light in the mercy of God, it's because you've forgotten how extensive that gift is. It's because you, you, you see yourself as maybe not really needing a lot of mercy, See, the more you understand your need for mercy from God, the more delight you have in receiving the gift of God's mercy. So how is your mercy, church? How are you you thinking about that experience? Is it producing in you the feeling of delight that that, that joy produces? We've got to experience the mercy of God to nurture this delight. Second, quickly, Joy grows when we experience God's honor, which nurtures gratitude. Verse 72, this chapter, this, these sections are so broken up. I actually emailed the translator and said, what in the world? Why is this divided up this way? And he explained it, and I didn't understand it, so I'm not going to explain it to you. Smarter than most of us. Look what it says in verse 72. It says, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Now, this oath Zechariah is referencing is the one that God made to Abraham after Abraham had shown his great faith to God in Genesis 22. If you've got your Bible now, I hope that you do. Take it in now and turn with me real quick to Genesis 22. I want you to understand this oath that, that God made. Some of you will remember the story. It's the, it's the time after Isaac, the son of laughter, the son of promise, had been born to Abraham and to Sarah. And God tests his faith, and he tells Abram to take his son, his only son, up onto the hill, the very hill that one day that Jesus Christ would die on, and tells him to sacrifice his one and only son, the son of promise. Now, the Hebrew writer gives us this comment that lets us know that Abram believed that his son would be resurrected. But the ethical dimensions of this are overwhelming far more than I could possibly understand or explain. But this test of faith was very real. And so just as Abraham was about to take the son of his life, God stepped in. And, and he did not require Abraham to, to give his son. Instead, later, God gave his own. But look what he said to him in chapter 22, beginning in verse 16. And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God said, I'm going to keep the promise I made you. And now he makes an oath. He says, 
based upon my own name, based upon my actual being, I am telling you, I'm going to accomplish this. He made an oath to him. Now, years later, to his son Isaac, this is Genesis 26.3, he references again this oath. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. This oath is the very thing that Zechariah is, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is now referencing. And, and what he's talking about here is the honor of God. God said, I am giving you this promise. I am, I am making an oath to you. And now Zechariah is saying, and now we are seeing the fulfillment of that oath. Because it is through Jesus Christ that the kingdom of God is made available to all who believe. And for those of us who repent and believe, we are given we are given rights to be a part of this kingdom. And this kingdom is going to spread throughout all the world. Every tribe and tongue will be influenced and affected by it. And there will be believers from all. And when we read the end of the book, when we get down to the end there in Revelation 20, 21, we see that, that every nation and tongue is represented because God kept his oath to send his son. And what happens to us when we think about the fact that God said he would rescue us, and he did, is gratitude. There is nothing within us that deserves what God's given us. See, God's honor nurtures gratitude. His his mercy, it nurtures delight. How's your delight this morning? His honor, his keeping of this oath, it produces gratitude. How grateful is your heart this morning, honestly? Are you overwhelmed with gratitude for the goodness of God to keep his word, to fulfill the promise? That promise is said to Abraham, I'm going to bless, bless the world through you. Then Isaac came, and from Isaac, Jacob, from Jacob, the 12 tribes, and from the 12 tribes, Judah, from Judah, the promise that there would always be a king, the king would come through him, and then the king was raised up, King David, and from the line of David we gain Jesus Christ. This is the storyline of the whole Bible, and it is all based upon the oath of God. How can we not be grateful? And that gratitude is a part of the joy of the Lord. To have joy, it, it is to have delight. It is to have gratitude. And the third, it is to have courage. Joy creates within us an emotional capacity to stand strong, to be courageous. Joy grows when we experience God's character, which nurtures courage. Look what it says in the last part of verse 73 on through 75. To grant to us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Again, God has delivered us from our two greatest enemies. Our two greatest enemies as human beings are sin and death. He defeated sin on the cross when he dragged down the wrath of God and freed us from responsibility for our sin. He took it. He took that responsibility, gave us his righteousness. And so now our enemies are defeated. He has been raised. We no longer fear death because he has defeated them. We are now free from the hand of our enemies. And now we can serve God without fear. See, because of the gospel of God, we don't have to fear anything. Because the greatest thing that we should and could fear has been removed. And that fear, the greatest fear, is the fear of condemnation. Look what it says in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of your faith in the mercy of Jesus, 
you can know that your sin has been paid in full. You can now know that you have access to the Father in the name of Christ the Lord. That through the power of the Holy Spirit now, you are free from fear. Because nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are no longer condemned in life or death. Therefore, you have no reason to fear anything else. That means you can go through anything. Because of the character of God, that is His faithfulness and His goodness to you, you don't have to be afraid no matter what circumstance you may come into. One of, one of the heroes of the faith for me is uh, General Thomas Stonewall Jackson. Many people would say to him, you're the most courageous man I know. And, and he would say to them, I don't have courage. He said, but I do have faith. He said, I have faith in the character of God. I have faith in the goodness of God, that everything that he's doing is right and best. It was uh, May 2nd, 1863, he was wounded on the battlefield. He thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to bleed to death. And his arm had to be amputated. And uh, Reverend Lacey, who was the chaplain there to his division, came by and saw him later that day after his arm had been amputated. And he said to him, Oh, General, what a calamity. And Jackson thanked him. And look what he said. You see me severely wounded, but not depressed, not unhappy. I believe that it has been done according to God's holy will, and I will acquiesce entirely in it. You may think it's strange, but you never saw me more perfectly contented than I am today. Why? Because he trusted in the character of God. He trusted that God knew what was best. He trusted that, that this being shot and wounded and having his arm amputated was not a surprise to the, the King of Heaven. He trusted God. His wife later came and, and saw him, and, and, and she was so broken, and, and she began to cry, and, and, and he comforted her with these words. He told her, I thought I was going to die. But then there was this comma, but, and look what he said to her. I gave myself up into the hands of the Heavenly Father without a fear. It has been a precious experience to me that I was brought face to face with death and found all was well. Friends, I hate to tell you this, but the way in which we grow in our faith and in our joy are through experiences. And quite often, it's the worst of experiences that teach us to have the strongest faith and which provide the greatest joy. Because when you go through difficulty and pain and you suffer, you remember the suffering of Christ that paid for the mercy and it creates a delight in your soul. And you remember that He kept His promise, this oath, and it creates gratitude in your heart. And then you think about His character, to be such a great God, to work all things for good for those who love Him, who've been called according to His promise. And it creates a courage that says, no matter what comes in my life, I will trust God, and my trust and my faith in Him will produce within me joy. And I will be delighting and grateful and courageous, not because of anything I have done or because of, I, because of who I am, because of what God has done and because of who He is. When we experience 
this, this God, and we think rightly about who He is and what He's done and who we are and what He's done for us, it creates this feeling. It's a feeling that's a state of being known as joy. Friends, let me ask you, do you have it? Are you living today with delight, with gratitude, with courage, or today are you overwhelmed? Are you overwhelmed with life? Are you overwhelmed with situations? Listen, you, you're, you're not always going to be happy. You're not always going to be sad. But God calls you to always have joy. And that happens by faith. You must give your life to Him. You must give every circumstance and situation to Him and say, Father, I trust you. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I give you my life. I give you my all. There's no holding back. I, I release my life to you. When you do that, when you experience that, there's joy. I know some of you need to do that today. So I want to give you a moment to do it. Let's stand together as we pray. Fathers, we have opportunity now to, to sing of your provision, of your, of, your, of your great providence to provide what it is we ultimately need in our soul, which is this joy. I know some today, they need to come and just say, Lord, I trust you. I'm, I'm not happy, I'm sad, or I'm not even sad, I'm actually happy, but I know that I need joy. I need to, to know that, that I have experienced you, O oh God, and, and having seen you and understood you, I can have joy no matter what happens in my life. Lord God, I pray for some today who need to come and just trust you. Trust you with their life. Trust you with a situation. Hear them as they come. And for your glory, give them joy. In Jesus' name, amen.